Welcome to Restored Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We're two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity. We invite you into that conversation. I think last week, as a reminder, we talked about uh, prophecy, kind of an introduction to prophecy. I did want to clear the air just a little bit. I mentioned briefly about some Old Testament uh, soothsayer, uh, Samuel and Saul and his hand coming out of the ground. I had to go back and actually look that up and reread the story. I think I owed a little better explanation. So Saul was this uh, was a king of Israel, and he had commanded all of the diviners or the I can't say the word divin- divinations, divinations, <laughs> all of the soothsayers and um, witchcraft type stuff to be done away with of the land. And then uh, you know he re- he relied heavily on the prophet Samuel to give him guidance. And uh, Samuel died and. Saul was praying to the Lord, and he wasn't getting anywhere, and he was not getting any type of uh, instruction. And so he immediately went back to his old ways, and and because he'd kicked out all of the fortune tellers and soothsayers, he told his servants to to go out and find him one, so that he could, you know, go another route. And I, uh, that story brought out to me just the need. Even Samuel had, or even Saul had back then, the need for prophecy, for mm-hmm. knowing the future, because mm-hmm. maybe an easy way out and. Uh, maybe requires less faith. I don't know as I thought about it, but anyway, so he, they find this this they said this lady that lived in Endor, often referred to as the Witch of Endor. Sounds mm. so J.R.R. Tolkienish. Mm. <laughs> so they go out and uh, Saul dresses up in disguise, and they go to this lady and and she says, "Oh, you're trying to trick me. You want me to call up this spirit from the dead?" And but the king has already said that we're not allowed to do that anymore and kick them all out of the land. So you're just trying to trap me and get me in trouble. And he. He assures her, no, no, uh, it's going to be okay, but we really need to speak to this spirit. And so he tells her he wants to speak to the spirit of Samuel, a prophet. And she, through some type of dark arts and black magic, calls up this, this spirit and, um, and begins to receive the words from um, Samuel. And then um, she realizes that this is the king, and he uh, he receives some instruction from Samuel. It's not good and tells him because of his wickedness. And he was using these spirits. And, you know, he said, why did you call me back from my rest? Um, that the Israel would be delivered into the hands of their enemies the next day. And so that was kind of the story. Anyway, who knows if that was really the spirit of Samuel or if the Lord allowed that to take place to uh, because of Saul's decisions. But I just wanted to clear that up from last week. But we were talking about prophecy, and so even um, even back then, there was this need to know uh, what was expected or what was coming, and it seemed kind of seemed like a shortcut to kind of get there. Mm-hmm. If you can hear the birds today, um, we're going to be talking. Corey mentioned last episode that uh, we should maybe hang out and talk about death, justice, sin, the atonement, maybe at the very beginning, the fall of Adam. Uh, in in this final prophecy series, and we've had some pretty good storms today, blowing through. It's kind of dark and cloudy out, but we've got the window open here, and maybe just for ambiance, but kind of cooling us off. So if you hear the birds, those are real. <laughs> They're real. Well, Corey, uh, 
I did want to read a scripture maybe for us to start out and to get our minds flowing from 2 Nephi um, 1, starting in verse 111. And it says, Now behold, if Adam had not transgressed, he would not have fallen, but he would have remained in the Garden of Eden. And all things which were created must have remained in the same state which they were after they were created. And they must have remained forever and had no end. And they would have had no children, wherefore they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin." But behold, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. Mm. That verse 115 is one of the few scriptures, maybe because it's short, that I've kept in my mind and that I have quoted over and over. Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. What a succinct well, that's like the final prophecy all tied up in one sentence, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. You know, the book of Revelation has a verse that brings that to mind, too. This whole prophecy of all Scripture leads to the ultimate return of the Lord. And Revelation 21 states, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And and everything that we suffer or endure in this life is leading to this time where there won't be any suffering, and, and, and it's going to be in the presence of God in a way we can't understand. Uh, you know, the scripture you just read, Mike, was interesting too, in that when it describes Adam and Eve in this state where, you know, part of God's plan, he created man and woman, they lived in this garden, What's interesting is how we've talked about parallels, how there's a parallel of good and a parallel of bad, and how these parallels become very, very clear, especially in the Book of Mormon, to be part of God's plan. But in that state that you just described of Adam and Eve, it's almost as if there weren't any parallels. There wasn't any opposite. There wasn't any bad to happen. There was only good. But somehow, somehow it's part of God's plan that the good becomes amplified by the presence of an opposition. And, and that's the life we find ourselves in. And this is, this is part of this plan that through the opposition, we, we find goodness again. It's um, the Book of Mormon. This is a real gem. I really think this is a gem that's contained in the Book of Mormon because it, it gives some really unique insight into our creator. Um, and it's not like uh you know, if you're reading the Bible and without this added information here, it, you may take the, the consideration that God created man and it, and it was almost as if, well, where did that come from? They sinned. Now what are we going to do? But um, this is so clear that, so even when God created created everything, he knew, he knew not only that they might sin, but that that's how it had to happen mm-hmm. for man to have joy. It was his plan for man to do something wrong from the beginning. Yeah. And then you think that the, the next step of that is if that was part of the plan and that was part of the logic that man was going to fall and that the penalty of man's sin brought an infinite cost, then the next logical step is how do they get redeemed? So was it always part of God's plan 
that he came down to this world too to take on flesh because if there was only one solution that being his death mm. as our ransom was that always part of the plan or was it all in the balance of that hey if sin never happened it, it could have never that reality wasn't foretold until sin wrote its signature on the plan of life so as god was creating mankind and and this world in his mind <laughs> we're, we're going to use a lot of words that just don't seem to fit god but for the sake of being able to converse <laughs> say anything at all in his mind there was this thought that as i create these people i'm going to have to suffer tremendous pain and leave this existence of at least part of me in the form of his son take on flesh and blood yeah it's hard to say you know it's it's conjecture on our part because we really don't know anything about that how it could have happened otherwise we all only know what we have now scripture doesn't really comment on that but the the powerful part of scripture that we do have is the fact that because our original parents sinned they were cast out of god's presence and that is what scripture calls justice you know there the penalty was no unclean thing can dwell in god's presence and to come into his presence would violate eternal laws which can't be violated so the only solution and, and because that was an infinite cost the only solution was an infinite payment when um so a couple of things you just said there and that this is these are things that um, we hear often in in mainstream christianity just that there is a an, an infinite sin or a death that was to take place. And God said, you know, in the day that you partake of this fruit of the tree of knowledge that you will die. You will die. Yeah, you will die. And, uh, and you said that there has to be an infinite atonement. Is that what you said? Or did I read that into that? You said infinite. Um, well, at least a payment. A payment. Why, why couldn't God just say, well, look what you did. And we're going to. I'll forgive you and, and we'll let you back in. Right, right. You know, that that's the good question. It's interesting because something else I've heard in my life and not from any particular source is this idea that somehow because man sinned, God had to die so he could forgive us. And this isn't really the issue that the issue doesn't come down to God's forgiveness because what's interesting is if you use the inspired version of the Bible, you find that Adam has conversations with God. And there's a point where God shares with him. He says, Adam, I've forgiven you of your sin, your transgression in the garden. Now, this is even without Adam asking for forgiveness. This is before his water and spiritual baptism occur. And so taking that by itself if the issue was only forgiveness, one could simply say, well, all God had to do is say, hey, let's patch this up. You're forgiven. Come on back. I got the garden all ready for you. Mm -hmm. you know? and, it, and it wasn't it wasn't possible because the issue wasn't that God couldn't forgive us. He already demonstrated forgiveness to Adam and, and each one of us right now by just the nature of who he is. He's willing and can and does and has forgiven mankind. The problem is, the problem is this idea of justice. The fact is, our souls have 
spiritual dirt that can only be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It, it can't just be forgiven away. There's nothing, and it can't just be asked away. It can't be just repented away on its own. There's, there's nothing we can do to get rid of it. It has to be washed away by the blood of the Creator, and that's the only way it can come clean. Otherwise, there's no possible way to be in His presence. And so, hence, this idea of the atonement is that the, the very one who created us was infinite and eternal. He's the only one who had the capability of paying the price. There was no other way. And that, that's another thought that is with pretty much every Christian that um, from the beginning of, from the earliest memories, hopefully, this, this thought that, well, there has to be an infinite atonement, an infinite atonement. And I, I guess um, I don't understand. So in the Old Testament, you you know there was an atonement made by the blood of an animal. Yeah, yeah. Why couldn't that? Why couldn't that be the the atonement needed? Yeah, yeah. You know, those are that's a great <laughs> question. In the uh, in the Book of Alma, there's a fantastic ex fantastic explanation of all that. And so this idea that man sinned brought death. And you brought out the scripture from Genesis 2, in the day that you eat, thou shalt surely die. Well, this was twisted by Satan in this moment to Eve. And he's saying, did God really say you were going to die? Because when she bit the apple, you know, she didn't fall down dead, you know? So did that make God a liar? Well, of course not. But the the truth was God was talking about a different type of death. He wasn't talking about the temporal death of our body. He was talking about the spiritual death, the separation of our soul. And so when Adam and Eve were now sent out of God's presence, it wasn't in his anger or wrath. It was in his mercy because now that they had sin, they couldn't be in his presence. That was one thing. But the bigger problem is if they had returned and partaken of the other tree, which was the tree of life. They'd already partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but that would have made them live forever with sin permanently written in their soul, no more to be removed. That's a bad problem. That's the problem God wants to save us from. And so this life is the chance to have that sin removed by, by coming to him and confessing him and following him and being baptized and, and being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, the sin stays with us forever and we're eternally cast out of his presence. So when he said you're going to die, he was talking about the spiritual death. So the Book of Mormon says something kind of, it's beautiful, the phrases in there. It says, all mankind has fallen from the presence of God, but we have uh, undergone what the scriptures call the first death. The first death. Every one of us, you and me, Mike, anyone who's listening, we are all living what's called the first death, which means that it's describing our separation spiritually and physically, and you know, in the present from the presence of God. Uh, Alma writes in the eighth chapter, verse one hundred six, in the RLDS version, "I say unto you that um, this mortal body will be raised from the first death into life, and that's when we come out of this world back into the real life." That God has waiting for us. But what he's trying to keep us from is the second death. 
The second death is the final separation. When we leave this world, which is a death in itself, um, we return to the presence of God. We want to stay there, but if we're found with sin on our soul, you know, in the, in the last day, if we're found on his left hand and that sin isn't removed, we suffer this permanent uh, separation from God with sin that we can't forget, we can't get away from. It's perfectly and totally present in our minds, in our body, in our spirit. Whereas the people who have this sin washed away have total freedom from that guilt, have total freedom from the pain of this life. I think you just hit on something. Let's let's bring this out. I've, you've said this before, and it's man, it's just swirled around in my mind. So God, the mechanic. There, there's one thing is the mechanics. The it's like the black and white. This is the word of God. This is what's happened, and and you can understand that. But then there's this deeper underlying um, issue, and you just said it that once man sins. You know, God can forgive him of that sin, but you still sinned. And God's not the only one that knows about it. Man knows about it. Right. And sin is so powerful. When we step out of line or against God's commandment, we may think that we can forget about that. And the next day we feel just fine because because of time we move on. Our memory becomes dim. It's like, oh, I remember I said some harsh words to Corey, but it's been three days and eh, he'll get over it. And right. it's it, so the uh, the sadness or the guilt I might have felt starts to, to to fade away. Right, right. Depending on how much of a schmuck I am. It right. may fade away real, right away or it may take a couple weeks, but eventually it fades away. But when we're in God's presence, when we've, we've entered into that realm where there is no, where that sin is paramount in our mind that's has a huge effect on us so oh yeah we yeah. can't get away from it right and this there how many scriptures are there that says you'll have a perfect remembrance that's of- exactly where i was just going to and it's one of these beautiful parallels that compares the people who are in god's everlasting presence versus the people who aren't the scriptures say that the people who are found on god's left hand they have a perfect knowledge but it says We'll have a perfect knowledge of all of our guilt, our uncleanness, our nakedness, while the righteous will have a perfect knowledge of their enjoyment, their righteousness, their being clothed in purity. So it's one on one hand, one on the other. Mm-hmm. Your knowledge is perfect. The problem is with sin, you can never, th- you, you will perfectly remember every sin and in in it's like every day, every moment of every day. Imagine if you had the winning lottery ticket, but you lost it. You know, that memory <laughs> of that pain. Well, it would be, with you constantly and never be able to forget, never be able to get over it. This is a really, this is a really interesting thing to me. And I think it's something that that we need to understand just as people, as Christians. And we, and maybe we don't think about it. It's even the righteous. It's not like they're up there rejoicing thinking, Oh, I'm so glad I remember all those things I did. And yet God's forgiven me and he's allowed me into his kingdom. They're, they're not even remembering. They're not thinking about this life. No, that because they have a knowledge that not only did God forgive them, but that they're clean. It's, yeah. And so I have a knowledge of all the bad things I've done. Not even all but of them. But it fades. And it, you it, know, it fades. Right, but, right. Yeah, but, Your wife can tell you what they are yeah. if you forget, right? <laughs> but to, to not to be in a state where I'm, I'm not just forgiven, but that I'm clean. Exactly. I'm clean, and I feel clean, and I'm rejoicing in how clean I am. And yet... 
flip side of that is it's not just knowing that you did some bad things, but that you can never get away from that. And, and they're all going to be present with you at once. Right. It's, it's, and, and this brings out the other purpose of this, not just this life, but the purpose of the atonement is that the scriptures teach that we can't imagine how bad it feels. I mean, we think we have bad days and bad moments, but God's saying, you can't imagine the pain of this suffering that you will have to endure for eternity if you don't choose me. And he said, I was willing to suffer more than even man can suffer. And, and really, I think there's a symbol in the very crucifixion itself. The crucifixion dying on a cross was man, you know, evil man's worst punishment they could think, you know, to, to not only inflict pain on the person, but inflict terror upon the people who witnessed. But it was gruesome and agonizing. And yet God suffered that in, as a mortal man to show that our suffering would be even worse. You know, if if we were to undergo spiritual separation from him forever with sin on our soul, the dying on the cross would be a walk in the park compared to what a spiritual life would be like for the rest of eternity. And the scripture teaches, they talk about a lake of fire. The Book of Mormon clarifies in a good way, and it says, their torments shall be as a lake of fire. As. As a lake of fire. And it's because we created for himself, for ourselves. I don't think there's anything God has to do to punish us. I don't think he's lighting hot coals or, mm-hmm. or making a step on Legos with bare feet or anything <laughs> like that. He's, he's, he's not got to create a, a room of torture that we sit in now because he's explaining to us that the pain, the, the torture of eternity is what's going to be in our own mind and soul from the fact that evil that never gets washed away in, in, within our soul is locked in there forever unless it's washed clean by the blood of Jesus. There's a scripture in Genesis 6, um, right around verse 60. No unclean thing can dwell there or dwell in his presence. For in the language of Adam, man of holiness is his name, and the name of his only begotten is the Son of Man, even Jesus Christ, a righteous judge who shall come in the meridian of time. No unclean thing can dwell there or dwell in his presence because man of holiness is his name. Mm -hmm. We cannot understand holiness except through the revelation of the Spirit. Um, As soon as we read that word or see that word with the capital H, we we probably conjure up in our mind what holy looks like and uh, what it might feel like, but we can't understand what it is like to be our creator without an ounce or a smidge of, of sin or even coming close to sin. Mm-hmm. Pure love, pure righteousness, mm-hmm. um, pure character, cannot lie, would not think to lie, would not mislead, not prideful, not jealous in the way that we become jealous. Of course, he's a jealous God for our own benefit, mm-hmm. but um, we can't understand what that holiness is. And so... When we sin, we don't understand how how even small sins, how bad and disgusting they are to our Creator, and that He cannot be around that. We do, yeah. we don't understand that. But and it's even even in another sense, it's not like He can't stand to be around it either, because He chose to step out of eternity into time mm-hmm. to be with us. You know, and it's like it's just the fact that 
what is is it's like no it just isn't possible it's like it's like trying to cram the the square peg into the round hole it just doesn't fit there's there's no possible way for the sin or the unclean to dwell where he's at it just won't go but in the but in the kingdom yeah it says no unclean no unclean thing can dwell there right, or right. dwell in his presence yeah it's it's not like it would it would kill him it's just it cannot be it would kill us <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that's that's the other thing um you and I can be sinful because we're just around each other. <laughs> mm, right. <laughs> and so whatever. So we can stand each other's presence being the, the fallen sinful creatures we are. But right. if I was to walk into the presence of of God, the Father, wow. Yeah, yeah. Talk about immediate wanting to just fall down and have the rocks fall down upon me unless some supernatural force, the blood of Christ, is able to put that <laughs> cleansing blood and armor on me to allow me to survive that moment. Isn't that true? <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know. There's there's a lot of people with a lot of testimonies out there, but now and then you hear about oh, people with a near-death experience and they, they get our attention. I, I can't say I can validate all of them, but there was one, a man who wrote his story in a book, uh, George Ritchie tells something pretty amazing in a, in a near-death experience of his. He was uh, in the Army training back in World War II days and uh, died in, in basic training. He, he had an illness that was, you know, something people didn't really understand how sick he was. And in the couple moments that he actually passed away in the hospital, he has this out-of-body experience. And he comes to the Savior, and when he's he realizes it's this savior of the world, Jesus Christ, that people have been talking about. And as he's nearing him, he's feeling this tremendous guilt and tremendous shame. And he's like, I, I couldn't even bear to look up because I felt so much shame. And then all of a sudden, when he did look up and he saw the love in the eyes of the savior looking toward him, he realized that none of that condemnation was coming from Jesus. It wasn't coming from him at all. Jesus isn't didn't die to condemn us. Jesus died to save us. He said the condemnation was totally his own internal spirit shrinking from him, realizing I'm not worthy to be here. And so this, the magnitude of the love of our father for us, that he would actually die and, and be like us to pay a price for us in a way that we couldn't do it. And it came with no condemnation. It's simply that because of what you said, no unclean thing can dwell there. The, the Book of Mormon teaches another beautiful point. It says, we would be happier to dwell with the damned souls in hell with our sin versus trying to have sin in God's presence. That that would make us feel even worse. And he experienced just a touch of that, it sounds like, in his in his own story. That that's, reminds me of, uh, I might have said this before, a quote from C.S. Lewis it's when he said, uh, you know, the door to hell is locked from the inside. <laughs> people are there because of their choices. Right, right. Which which should give us hope, should it not? If, if there's something within us that um, says, I don't want to be there, I want to keep trying, then maybe that's honored by God. Mm -hmm. um, at least at this point, if, if we're striving to improve our time here, that that's honored by God. Um People sometimes have asked the question, well, have I done the impartable sin? Have I denied the Holy Spirit? Have I put myself on that pathway? I can't come back. And I always think if, if you're still wanting, if you're still desiring, then you're not on that path because 
uh, you reach a point you don't want anything to do with goodness mm-hmm. or righteousness. Mm-hmm. So the Lord told us man would fall or that if you took of this uh, tree that you would fall and that there would a death would come. And, um, and then he offered a plan, a way back for all mankind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, all mankind was lost. It's just kind of hard to believe it, but in the scripture adds that we would have been endlessly lost were it not that God redeemed his people from this fallen state. And so the, the Bible, the Book of Mormon, other scripture teaches something pretty profound, and that's this justice of God, this, this fact that it wasn't even that God did this as a punishment. It's just the reality that because the unclean can't dwell with him, that the justice says you have to be eternally separated. That's, that's our problem. I mean, we talk about justice in our society and like we want, we want justice to win and justice to, to win the day uh, in, in, you know, politically and, and spiritually and emotionally in, in life. Uh, and we have this idea of justice usually as a good thing. But the, the problem, our problem is this word justice, that justice describes our state of separation. The justice is that we're separated from God what we don't realize is that if Jesus had not come, that when we died, that would have been it. And then we would have suffered endlessly for eternity. Our soul wouldn't die, but there would have been no redemption, no chance. So that's the, that's the flip side of justice. It's the parallel to justice is the plan of mercy. And so we have on one hand, the justice of God, and we have on the other hand, the mercy of God, and, and again, the mercy of God isn't just him deciding to forgive us. It, it all comes back to God. The, the mercy of God, which we use the code word grace, is that God chose, God made the, the choice to step out of eternity into time to pay a price for us. You know, there's powerful symbols in, in the, that we couldn't pay ourselves, of course. There's powerful symbols in the Bible, and one of them is in the days of Moses, the people, the Israelites, were given a lot of commandments. And the commandments were done, in a, they were carried out physically, if you will, in the world, uh, but to teach spiritual things. And they were commanded to build a temple. And, and in this temple, there was a veil that separated everyone from this holy of holies place. And only the high priest could go there once a year when he offered this blood for the nation but outside the temple was an altar, and, and on that altar was where the sacrifices were offered. And it was That's where the animals were killed, and the people would place their hand on the animal, and the, and the blood of the animal would be put on them. Well, this, this separation of the Holy of Holies and in the temple and this altar outside is the metaphor for life in that where God is, the this, this sacrifice didn't occur where God is in this Holy of Holies. The sacrifice had to occur outside of the temple in the realm of earth, our world. And so this temp, this, this altar being outside the temple and the animal being killed on it, that's the, the symbol for Jesus coming out of heaven, if you will, and dying on the altar of the world. I mean, in our, in our realm, a sacrifice being paid there and then the blood carried back into the temple. Like the, the, the sacrifice wasn't just complete on the cross alone, but literally as the 
priest would carry the blood to the Holy of Holies, Jesus triumphantly re-enters heaven and says, I've overcome. And when he overcomes, it's done. That's why that veil, as we mentioned before, was ripped into at his death, because now not only he could come, he was the first to rise, but that prepared the way whereby all mankind, those who would repent and choose him, could come back. That's that's the key right there, uh, a key. Um, the, the veil was split, giving opportunity for man to come back into God's presence, but not necessarily, um, it wasn't a free ride, and right. it wasn't, um, you know, say you believe in Jesus, and you can come into the Holy of Holies. There's all kinds of, um, there's a long road with a, a certain gate that we say you have to enter in by to get on that road back to the Holy of Holies. Right. This is this is exciting to me. It became even more clear as we've gone today. Um, God says, "Man, if you if you sin, you will fall, and you can't be in my presence. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll die." That wasn't just once they partook of the fruit. It wasn't just well. Now you have to die because I said it, and I'm God, and I can't lie. I cannot tell a lie, kind of like George mm-hmm. Washington. No, mm-hmm. it was you disobeyed me and you will never be comfortable in my presence now right? because right. I am holy and righteous and now you are not. Right. And even if you say you're sorry, uh, that still will be upon you somehow in your soul when you come in front of me. And so there has to be this supernatural change, not just an act, not just me coming down and putting on flesh and blood and dying on the cross, but that somehow will allow your heart to be changed to no longer remember that sin and to feel clean and be able to rejoice in that cleanness and whiteness. Right, right. You know, there's a there's another symbol in what you just mentioned and back in the garden. And and this just kind of became apparent as you were saying it literally. You know, the very first thing Adam and Eve recognized once they had sinned was that they were naked, right? They had no clothing oh, yeah. on. And all of a sudden, their sin caused them to want to withdraw. We have to hide from God. That's kind of mankind's problem. We, we enjoy our sin in a way, but it, it's the thing that separates us. But what God does, and if you have the inspired version of the Bible, you, you see an explanation for this in Genesis 4, where Adam's offering a sacrifice, and the angel asks him, hey, why are you doing this? And, and he explains this is to represent Jesus and his death, the atonement. But even without that, which uh, Joseph Smith was inspired to uh, add to the Genesis account. What you have, though, is Adam and Eve in their nakedness and their embarrassment and their shame. So we have the shame of mankind that's separating them from God. They want to hide from God. So what does God do? It says he made them coats of skins and put them on when, they cast, when he sent them out of the garden. But there's a powerful symbol in that. The coats of skins had to come from animals, which implies that God sacrifice an animal to cover their sin, to cover their nakedness. And and that's exactly the symbol of what Jesus did. He our, our nakedness or that shame was because of our sin. Jesus' death and blood covers, that's the word atone. That's literally what the atonement in the Hebrew meant, to cover. Covered us by his own body so that we would have that you know, uh, covering to, 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 and to, to wash and to allow us to, to come back. That's, yeah, so as soon as they, that's crazy, isn't it? it they is. were walking around naked, completely comfortable. Yeah. That the effect of sin, all of a sudden, you're aware of your nakedness. Right, right. right. 
And and so that that feeling, that spirit is going to carry on with you into uh, as your spirit leaves this world into the, the eternal realm to feel that same uncomfortableness to yeah. want to hide. And yet you no longer can you don't you no longer have the luxury of time or <laughs> yeah, being yeah. in this world. Yeah, exactly. No. Wow. That. That's uh, something to ponder on the effect of sin because we're so used to sinning that maybe we've become numb to it, and maybe Adam and Eve would have become numb to it over time, and it seems like mankind has become numb to it. Right. But uh, that's why the scripture says you'll have a perfect knowledge at that time. We we don't have a perfect knowledge of our sins or even begin to comprehend the effects or what they do and and how they've wrecked the world, but to see all of that and know all of that and know that there was a better way. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Well, there, um, what else about sin in the fall? Um, I want to talk about, I like to start where, um, there was a plan back, but I, I, I maybe want to make that a different, the next episode. I want to make sure um, that we've, we've said everything or do you have any other thoughts on? Well, you know, the, the 19th chapter of Alma in the earliest version adds a lot of clarity that, you know, death, the separation of Adam and Eve brought on two types of death. One was this uh, temporal death, which we really haven't talked about. But, you know, we have no idea how long Adam and Eve lived in that state. Honestly, it, you know, it just goes from one chapter to the next. They're with God and then they're cast out. But who knows, in our measurement of time, if that was millions of years, and I'm just saying that as a number, just to give an idea that they could have been in sort of this endless state without death. Well, their their transgression brought about the spiritual death, but it brought about the temporal death as well, the fact that these bodies would now age, Adam would live by the sweat of his brow. And in this temporal death, though, Scripture teaches the plan of salvation wasn't to redeem us from that. In other words, the plan is that your your body will die. There is a time when you know you'll take your last breath. Uh, there's an expiration date written on all of us. We just can't read it, you know. And so, this idea that Jesus died on the cross, He brings us back from that temporal death too. But it's for the spiritual death that the redemption uh, is is really offered or explained, so that we weren't spiritually cut off. But but both ideas kind of come into this grand plan of the atonement that, hey, we're, we're brought back from an endless death, a temporal death we would have experienced. We're brought back and saved from a spiritual second death, which would have been our separation from God from ever, for forever. So those two deaths, the temporal and the spiritual, were all part of Jesus' plan, but to bring us back from the spiritual was what he uh, died on the cross for. And it's so much easier for us as people to focus on the physical death, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And that's what we see. You know, there's a there's a horror of death. I guess there's a fear of death. And yet the scriptures, you know, don't... And maybe that's why death is what it is. There's the unknown. There's the sadness. There's the mystery of it. Maybe to work on our minds somewhat. So we'll consider this life with a little bit more, um, I don't know, sincerity or uh, soberness, you know. And I know it's part of nature for us to mourn and to go to funerals and to, of course, we can't be in the physical presence of a loved one once they've moved on. Um, but we we don't give near enough thought to the spiritual death, right? Of what is what it will be like, right? 
Right. We really don't. We we don't. It's part of that veil again. That just it just this this giant lie, you know, mm-hmm. that we have all the time in the world, and that our heart doesn't need to change, and um, and we we give much more mourning to the physical death. You know, the Doctrine and Covenants shares a powerful explanation in that, you know, God's punishment that the Scripture calls isn't that he's trying to punish us so much as he wants to save us. He takes no delight in our suffering, but he wants us to to know with every fiber of our being the consequence that faces us if we don't choose him. And there's only one choice. We, we choose him or we don't. It's not like there's multiple choices. You, you flip the coin and it lands on heads or tails. I mean, barring it falls in a crack, but it's it's always one result or the other. And so God wanting us, wanting to share the perfection of his world with us, of course, is, is why he came to redeem us. But he also warns us, and this is from the Doctrine and Covenants, the RLDS version, uh, section 18. He says, Behold, I have suffered these things for all that they might not suffer if they would repent. But if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I did, which suffering caused myself, even God, and I'm reading from verse 2, I, which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit and would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. But nevertheless, glory to the Father, I partook and finished my preparation. In other words, he, he, he did this so that we wouldn't have to experience how bad that suffering is and is destined to be for those who won't choose him. And only by their own choice. Says an alma, I say unto you, you know it that day you cannot be saved, for there can no man be saved except his garments are washed white. Exactly, exactly. And again, that's not just a mechanic thing because God said something and he has to fulfill his word. It's because there is something that has gone on deep in the heart of man that man can never be. So when he says your garments are washed white, you're saved. You're saved and you're washed white from that heart inside that cannot reside with God, right. cannot reside in his presence. Right. And it has to be transformed into a heart that can be in his presence. Exactly. And and this comes back to, to the key of life. It's what is our response to all this? We have the, the justice of God, which we're already suffering in that we're separated from him. We have the mercy of God in that he's offered a way back. And so how do how do we take advantage of that? What's our what's our responsibility in this? And and you know, sometimes people can give a long list of things or sometimes people give no list at all. They say, "Well, Jesus died on the cross and there's nothing I I have to do." And and that's not quite right. And sometimes people look at, "Well, if I do all these works and do them extra special, then maybe I'll get a place at his right hand or maybe I'll fall somewhere in the middle." And scripture doesn't teach that either. In, in that way, and I think in coming episodes we can dig into that a little more because that's that's more than one episode. Yeah, no, but, I think yeah we're, I think we're getting to that point. But yeah, I want to make that a make its own episode. So, but on that, and just maybe we'll save this for for the next time or a time to come, is that the response is exactly what 
Jesus told Nicodemus when he comes to say, hey, you're doing all these miracles. What do I have to do? And Jesus said, you must be born of the Spirit. And what does that mean? It, It means everything we believe, I suppose, about Jesus, but it means the change has to come by wanting God to be part of our life, to to have that cleansing power of his spirit. And if we have his spirit to be with us, he, yes, will will wash away our sin in a spiritual sense, but to our daily living, he gives us a guide that's his Holy Spirit to be with us. That happens by the baptism of the spirit. It changes our heart. That's what Alma said, Alma Jr., when he comes out of his coma and says, hey, be of good cheer. I've been born again. That's what it means to be born again is that when I've got God's spirit, it's the thing doing the work. It's the thing leading me back to him. And if I'm led back to him, I'm going to choose to live my life wisely. I'm going to choose to live myself, my, my life for him by, by sacrificing, by seeking to be zealous of good works as, as the scriptures command. And it's not that the works in and of themselves have the merit or the ability to save us. It's just the evidence that our heart was changed. And so talking about the change of heart is is huge. And, and of course, we're just touching on it here. Maybe we can go deep into that in a, in a coming time. But the, the response is what Jesus lays out in front of us is that our heart has to change. And we use this word repentance. I think it gets overused because it sometimes comes again with condemnation. You know, you need to repent. And it's like, yeah, I suppose the meaning is captured in that, but the, the the deeper meaning is that by choosing God in his spirit, that the work of the spirit will will cleanse and, and work and guide us as we allow it to in this life. That um something that we say often and uh you know, the most important thing is that your heart's changed. And and yes, I think in my own speech that becomes cliche, but in my mind when I when I think about it, what we're really saying, what what I believe is is that this miraculous transformation, this r- miraculous thing takes place within me that allows me to be comfortable in the presence of God uh, when it's all said and done. And that is no small that is no small task. And out of all of the things in this world, um, my son doesn't know yet, but he's, he's getting ready to go to mountain camp. Mm. And uh, we could say this because this will air after Mountain Camp. But <laughs> we got a, uh, an email from the director, and he says, take out your uh, your child's scriptures and turn to, I think, the 37th or 39th chapter of Ezekiel and take a sticky note and write a very, very concise saying of something you want them to know mm. that you're praying for or that you want for them. And we're going to open that on the last day of camp and they'll see a note from, Mm. from mom and dad. Mm. And so we did that last night, my wife and I, and, um, I was trying to think, what can I write in one sentence? And, and something to the effect of don't let anything in this world become more important or get in the way of allowing your heart to be changed by Jesus. Yes. Because nothing else is, if you sacrifice that, if you give that up at the expense of having anything else in this world, oh, what regret there's going to be someday. What Amen. regret. Amen. And that's that's all. And so when we say change of heart, oh, our hearts have to be changed. People might get, get tired of hearing that, you know. Uh, but when you really think about it, 
That entails so many things, Corey. That entails how I live my life from the time I wake up in the morning to the time I go to bed. It entails who I choose to spend my time with and do they uh, build me up? Do they add to, you know, is the Lord's spirit welcome among us? Do we spend our time on the things of, of eternity? You know, how many extracurricular things am I involved in and do I allow my children to be involved in? All of these things, all of these things are incorporated into having your heart changed it's not just a simple right christ died for my sins and changes my heart right it is a lifestyle and it, it, it takes everything and it's a focus it takes everything we have learning how to submit and allow our heart to be changed and if it's not we're not going to be comfortable in the presence of god and we're going to end up somewhere else and one of the great things about the fullness of the gospel is we, we have a better picture of what even goes on after we depart physically this world and it can either be a wonderful thing or it can be a long, long time of not so wonderful things as right. we're still trying to learn lessons that that we had a chance to uh, to learn here. Yeah. So, you know, a friend of mine uh, has a teenage son or, and as you know, we, so many of us are raising children in this world and so many of us at various times in our life come to a point where we're questioning and and my friend's son was was at the stage of life where he basically, in his the wisdom of his teenage years, had come to the conclusion that there was no God and that this life is all there is. And he, he announced that to his father. And his father responded with some wisdom. And because I've probably not handled sometimes the questioning that is natural for all of us from time to time. You know, your children might do something that's sort of rebellious or something, and sometimes you might respond because of your concern for them, maybe inappropriately. But this friend said to his son when his son decided, I don't believe in God anymore, he asked him this question. He said, so how will you make your decisions in life? And I thought that was a profound question because what you just said, Mike, is that if you choose Christ, it ultimately affects how you think through every decision you're going to make in your life. And if it doesn't, it should. And I think whether we consciously are thinking that in the forefront of our minds, we are. I mean, we're deciding whether we're going to steal or not or lie or not or whether we're going to be faithful or not in, in big ways. But in, in simple decisions, you know, the things we do in private, they determine our character. Well, in this world, if we choose that, you know, somehow God exists, it will affect our decisions, and those decisions become the evidence by which we're judged in the end. And that's really what judgment comes down to. And when we look at this final story of the, you know, the, not just the final prophecy, but this final day of mankind standing on God's left hand or right hand, it comes down to the decisions we made. And the best evidence of good decisions is were you willing to live for other people? Were you willing to you know, put your, your pettiness, your own interests aside? Were you willing, when someone wanted you to walk a mile, would you go with them an extra mile? You know? And those are the things that ultimately get reflected by our decisions to follow Christ. And if we, if we do that, we won't do it perfectly in this world, but the evidence is there that the work was within us, that his spirit was within us, and, that, and the change that we experience in this life, however small, gets magnified times infinity when he, he takes away that sin and gives us a new world, a new state, a new body to live with him and enjoy the experiences of eternity, not hindered by any of the weakness here in this world. Um, 
we're, we got, probably should wrap this up, I guess. I wanted to share a story that kind of goes on with uh, what we're talking about today and that scripture that we, we read at the beginning um, about man falling and that if they hadn't fallen, there would never be a joy. Um, a friend of mine, Tom Mitchell, he invited me out to uh, Nashville a number of years ago. And uh, it was shortly after my wife had left, my, my first wife had left. And uh, I was I was pretty down, pretty lonely, of course. And so we, we drove out to Nashville and about a nine hour drive in the car all the way out there. We talked about the Lord and the gospel. And we never turned the radio on once. Our conversation just wonderful fellowship and then you know we spent several days there making music and then we, we were on our way back and I I don't know if it was just uh, because I knew that I was shortly going to be alone again and then I had just so received this fellowship of my brothers these last few days I started to get really dark and depressed and sad and and we were coming through Columbia Missouri and as the sun was going down I felt like it was just symbolizing this darkness just going down you know this just coming upon my my heart and we were talking about Jesus and he was saying something to the fact that you know you know it's so great that you know the Lord died for us that we could be with him and all these things and in my mind I had this picture I had this picture of of two friends and one friend takes his friend and just throws him over the wall of a well and throws him all the way and he falls to the bottom of the well and then his friend throws a ladder down and helps him out of the well. And then the, the friend that ended up at the bottom of the well is supposed to be thankful to his friend for throwing <laughs> him the ladder. And I couldn't get this picture out of my mind of Jesus. And I finally told my friend, I said, what, why am I supposed to be thankful to Jesus? Because he came and died for me when I never asked to be born. I never asked to come into a sinful world where all of these bad things happen and, and and people are treated and mistreated and, and die and horrible, gruesome things happen in this world. I never asked for any of that. So now I'm supposed to be thankful to Jesus because he came and died for me. <laughs> Don't you think he owed it to me? I mean, he threw me down this well. And now because he doesn't leave me there, I'm supposed to be happy and thankful. It's like I tripped you now. Let me help yeah, you. Yeah, 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 right? yeah. So that's that's how dark my, my heart was. But that's real. I mean, that was where yeah. I was at. And so... Even my buddy said, he goes, ah, I never thought that way. So I felt even more alone. So I had pondered on this for several days. And I was I was just walking through the house, pondering on this again. And again, I, I brought up these thoughts in my mind. I never asked to be born into this this world. Why do why should I why do I feel like, you know, I should be thankful for, for what you've done? And and the words came to my mind completely out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting this. I said, you never asked to have eternal life either. Mm. And the home that I have prepared for you is greater than anything you can imagine. Mm. Mm. And then, and in that moment, I just saw that this was all part of the plan, and it had to be this way, this pain and everything, but that a loving God would not put anybody, allow anybody to go through this if there wasn't something so fantastic at the wow. end wow. and so when we were talking a, a couple episodes about my friend that's just going through terrible trials and betrayal and and wondering you know where's the comfort at times when we go through these things in this life yeah when adam fell all of that was a part of it yeah yeah stepped outside of god and and every sin we have that is the result of sin mm. and this fallen world is the result of that sin but at the same time the scripture says 
they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery. Mm. Doing no good, for they knew no sin. And Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. Mm. So when I say, God, you threw me down that well, it says, God says, yep, men fell, and I pulled you out of that well, but there's more joy than just putting you back on this crappy earth, standing on the (laughs) dust with your friend that's going to push you down the well again. Mm. There's more joy than that. When I pull you out of that well, you're coming to a whole new existence that that you never knew existed. Yeah, wow. And so that's the end of the story. And so next episode, maybe we can talk about that plan and the prophecy of man we and, were prophet- just, yeah. just who is this savior of ours and, and, and what choices he faced and what, what the ramifications of all that really means. Sounds good. Till next time, God bless. <laughs>